Hi everyone, my name is Vanessa Valyuko and welcome to Personal Pans. Conversations about belief, transformation, and all the weird things that we experience. Tonight's guest is Jack Brewer, a UFO blogger, researcher, and the author of two books, The Grace Have Been Framed and Wayward Sons. I interviewed Jack for Panpericon last year because I read The Grace Have Been Framed and I love the way that he talked about trauma in regards to UFO phenomenon and also um, the, 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 well, the unreliable narrators that exist in the field. It was just a very, um, a, a critical eye and a research informed eye that I really respected. Because um, again, my background is in social science research. And even though I grew up watching X-Files and, and being obsessed with every single um, you know, Fox special that was some revelation about like secret alien information and like metamaterials and things like that. Um, you know, looking at the phenomenon now and, and looking at certain actors in the field and what are they trying to promote? What agendas, what narratives, and are we losing the human connection in the process of, of trusting certain people in the field? Um, and, uh, and so uh, certain developments, uh, happening, uh, in the UFO field recently, I thought I gotta talk to Jack again. And we had a, another wonderful conversation talking about the importance of research, of paying attention to the human component of all of this, and also just having a, again, a critical eye towards towards people in the field and what their agendas are and and in some cases what they're hoping to sell you um literally aside from just uh symbolically so uh, i hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as i did i meant to finish um i mean your newish book right before we talked um but just even the like initial like the introduction and like the people have say have been saying that disclosure is around the corner for what 60 almost 70 years and yeah it gets a little exhausting after a while right sure 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 it should yes it should <laughs> this is this is what i don't understand like if people are promising you something and they're not delivering maybe you should question what they're promising and who is promising it because they're not following through. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I think that's one of the reasons that the uh, the UFO personalities and and things need an, an ever turning base. You know, they they prospect like a like a salesperson would, and and need to draw in people because it, it's it's pretty imperative that someone not know history or they would like recognize you know need I continue that sentence you know <laughs> exactly exactly I mean it's one of those things too where I do think unfortunately because some people I don't necessarily see the charisma, but other people do. And they come into this field and they make all these big promises. And a lot of people think like, oh, this time 
it's different, right? This, this person for sure has all the information and all the promises and, and everything we could possibly need. And, and uh, they've got the actual inside track. Um, so I think unfortunately we probably would still see a certain amount of um, almost cultish behavior around certain figureheads. But I do think that just, again, even just like a cursory knowledge of history would would hopefully uh, inspire some healthy skepticism. And, you know, like, I, again, the idea of UFOs, the idea of government conspiracy, the idea of all these things, like I can see why that draws people in, but also just, just, just check your history books. Again, it's not like the information is um, uh, hidden, right? It's, it's all right there. Yeah, you're hitting on a lot of topics there that are what keep my interest in it, actually. And mm -hmm. uh, you're right that sometimes these people don't have a lot of charisma and, and they're not particularly good at what they do, yet still seem to attract a wide audience relative to others that are doing it. Right. And I, I think a lot of that is about the emotional draw, that, that there's so many people that understandably, like I'm not criticizing this, they understandably want validation. They, they, they have things in their lives that have happened and that's a whole nother issue of, of what those things might be and what might account for their trauma and all this. But the fact remains it's there and they, they want people to champion what they identify as their cause. So it really doesn't matter if the person is very good at it or not, if they can get emotionally attached to, to the people in their base. Then another issue that keeps me interested that I feel you're touching on is occasionally somebody is really good at it, that, that they, uh, not often, but occasionally a person has good people skills that decide they want to apply those skills to the UFO arena. And they will be a formidable force when, when they understand what they're doing and have the skills to apply it, they, 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 can, they can make some noise. And last but not least, one of the things I think we're hitting on here is not unlike the QAnon crowd, there are certain inherent characteristics to people that can be influenced in these manners, the, the demographics that make up the people that want to know about disclosure and are on the edge of their seats about it, that make them easily exploitable. And I, I think we saw that with, with QAnon. I don't think that story's over yet. And I think we're seeing some of it in the UFO arena with cryptocurrency. And uh, it, it's actually rather stunning. Talk about people that aren't good at what they do and don't care. Don't care. Here's my UFO book. Yeah, let's talk about UFOs for five minutes. Would anybody like to buy a car? I sell Cadillacs. Here's my contact info. Um, have you heard about new engines? 
I, I mean, it, it's like, and they don't, nobody cares. Nobody cares how overt it is. I, this, <laughs> I think that's why I just like came right into the interview because I feel like so much has happened in the past few weeks. And since we've talked at Panpericon, it's just like, I got to talk to Jack about all this because the, the cryptocurrency, the NFTs, like, and it's so blatant and it, it's so, like, like to me, even if you were all in, if people, if they started with this, right, like the tech bro uh, MLM scheme, wouldn't you, wouldn't you at least pump the brakes, right? Like you might not stop the car, but when you think like, oh, wait a minute, maybe I need to reevaluate literally what is being sold to me, not just the products, but also the ideas. And it doesn't seem to be a red flag for people. Like, like if I have old friends who try to add me to Facebook groups for whatever MLM they're a part of now, <laughs> it's like decline and then question the friendship, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> so when it's these grand schemes and people are expect, hoping and expecting for huge investments, I, I, I'm just, I'm amazed, I'm, Jack, I'm amazed. Yeah, and like that in itself qualifies you as not who they're looking for. It, it's, I was speaking to someone just yesterday about it that said it's like the email phishing scam that if the misspelled words concern you, then just never mind, you're not who we're looking for. And I don't really know how I'm struggling with how to address these things without like, like what I just said sounds like I'm really being critical of people that would go, well, let's hear him out. And there's just so much emotional work that needs to be done around these things that it, if we become so attached to someone's ostensible message that we're willing to just put aside multiple red flags, this this really isn't a UFO issue at all. You know, it, it's an issue of how well do we know ourselves? How much introspection do we do? Um, you know, there, there's a lot of issues happening around this. Well, and, and also that um, something I've been thinking about a lot, especially in light of certain political decisions, like people, um, who are terrified of ambiguity and are terrified of questioning and being in a state of questioning and want answers and, 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 and expect like a, a strength, right? Appeals to power, appeals to authority, as opposed to, uh, you know, sitting and being uncomfortable. Like maybe we don't know answers to everything. Maybe we don't have all the information. Maybe the information that's being fed to us is through an intelligence community, like like that kind of, um, you know, like again taking a step back and really evaluating as opposed to de to deciding or like oh this is the this is it, or opposed to like desperately seeking somebody who can give you answers, in in a world that feels um, like I understand if people feel powerless or people feel helpless and they want somebody to to step in and say, here are answers, here's concrete proof. Everything else is chaotic, but you can believe this, I promise, like I've seen it. 
Um, I can see the appeal of that. But like you said, we're talking about something way bigger than disclosure. We're talking about something way bigger than UFOs. Like this is a, a social issue where people are desperate for information and feel unmoored without being told what to do and and who they are yeah there are to me there are a lot of parallels to like american um, christian evangelism and the sunday morning preachers that like it, it came so over the top like like uh pro wrestling that, that like they're even like taking cameras into the pulpits and put them on TV. These guys are entertaining, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah. and, and, and to that point, I don't like, I don't think there's a surprise that there's so much overlap between, um, you know, these charismatic preachers and, uh, and like the belief system, right? And they also believe in QAnon and they also believe in disclosure and oh yeah, aliens are probably uh, demonic entities. You know, like there, there is so much strange kind of overlap with all of this. And I, I think this brings up a good point. Like the common denominator is somebody who's saying, oh, there's an answer and I have the answer and I can give you the answer. Well, I'm not gonna give it to you. I can sell you the answer and I'll enrich myself and you'll think you have access to some deeper knowledge about the universe. Um, except you're going to have to keep doubling down because we're going to keep asking you for more. And, uh, you know, again, the mental gymnastics and not stepping back and questioning, like, do I, do I really trust what is being sold to me right now as the truth? Do I trust this person above all else to be giving me the, the information that I need? Um, yeah, again, broader conversations. And, and like, it lacks an awareness that like five years have passed while you've been arguing that this person is the Messiah and, and will take us to the promised land. And you're arguing, like it's become a habit and a mindset to hold the line and make this argument and fail to incorporate evolving information into that assessment and have the same argument you were making February of 2018 as you're making today when the person you are calling the Messiah has not presented squat, not nothing, it, you know? It, yes, and then the, the, the weird gymnastics of saying, well, well, they were going to, but because people were pushing back, they've withheld it. And then using that as proof that they actually have information that they are going to disclose at some later date. That to me, like, again, if somebody doesn't follow through, if I tried to promise my boss for five years on a project and didn't deliver on it, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't last. I'd get fired after a while because I wasn't doing the work that I was promising. It's again that that's why I always liken a lot of UFO culture to religion for people who who think that they're not religious because it's the same kind of belief and and faith as opposed to science. Science operates in a very different way and a very clear delineated way. None of this is is scientifically based. 
Yeah, that the it it bothers me a lot when uh, the science card is played um, incorrectly, and that one's a big red flag because there's not a lot of wiggle room on that. Um, by definition, there are certain activities that are not scientific. By definition, there are protocols and a method. And pulling a PhD into a television show and filming him saying ridiculous shit does not make something a scientific activity. And what would make it scientific is to explain what your hypothesis is, what, what you think may be happening. Here are the methods we are going to use to test that. Here is how we're going to measure the progress of that. And we're going to evaluate it at ABC and perhaps rede redefine, reform that hypothesis. That's what would make something scientific. And very rarely do we see that in, in UFO projects. And we see their participants scrupulously avoid that process, actually. Um, as, we, as we record this, my last blog post was an exploration of um, claims surrounding law enforcement responses to Skinwalker Ranch. And um, you saying the mental gymnastics that, that, that can happen. Um, in so many words, I was informed that the information that, that the people that I was interacting with do not want to be quoted or named because I am too rigid in my examination of these topics, essentially. Now, does that sound to you like something someone would do that has information that they think is important to publish? Again, I know we already had this conversation in Panpericon, but this is something I'm very passionate about and the idea of social science research. Again, I'm assuming this is the same in all academic fields. I only know from the field that I was working in. If you have data that proves a hypothesis, you are doing everything in your power to get that data and get that paper published, period. I worked with a professor who had, we, we worked together on an article and she, for years, was shopping it out to journals to get it published because she believed in the research that was done. If you have something that is verifiable, that you have, you have data and data collection that somebody else can analyze, if you have a methodology that is repeatable and it is going to shatter, especially if you think it's going to like change the way that, that your field is perceived, you want to put it in front of as many eyes as possible, period period the, the idea oh well we have to keep it secret it's like okay so even if you have to keep it secret even talking about its existence is dangerous it let you know but okay so oh you you can't publish it but you can talk about it like it, it again it makes no logical sense it makes no logical sense at all no no not if you're trying to give them the benefit of the doubt and, and so that always leads us back to, I really don't see 
but a couple ways to look at it. Like I was saying, if you play the science card, there's not a lot of wiggle room between you're either intentionally deceptive or you don't know what you're talking. You're either incompetent or you're intentionally trying to confuse me. Like there, there's, there's no way for it to be anything else really because like you're saying, when, a, when an intelligent, qualified person wants to make a coherent point and lay it out in a systematic process that intelligent, competent people can follow, they do. Right. <laughs> they, they, it's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I even remember... This is totally off topic, but there was this really interesting article that came out maybe five years ago at this point, and it was talking about how, um, I think it was at the University of Virginia, they had discovered a, essentially a new immune system within the brain that, and, and, and they did so much research to make sure they had actual data that proved this. And once they did, they published it everywhere because the existence of this thing would force everybody to rewrite their textbooks about what they thought about like brain body health and and again what we thought about the immune system so i can understand wanting to take time to do your due diligence to make sure that your research is sound but again then once you do you publish it because if you actually care about the field and you know again you care about the research you want information to progress forward and you want more people to do research based off of your research to see what else we can discover. Like again, scientific exploration, I think should be, and often is rooted in a desire for discovery in a, in a, uh, a desire to better understand the world, right? You understand that your information, your perceptions are never going to be perfect, but it's getting as close to a, 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 a demonstrable truth as possible. And you could only do that mm -hmm. by sharing information. <laughs> right, right, right. And and real transparency, not just not just saying it and using it as a buzzword to impress people, but actually practicing it. You you kind of remind me of a situation, another dynamic we frequently see in in the UFO circles. And it it's like we get kind of in our bubble and kind of start forgetting how um how absurd some of this can seem if you apply it to real world discoveries and research like you're discussing like like my friend dr tyler coke john likes to to say they scrupulously avoid their nobel prizes you know uh, yeah yeah um Right, right. And I've kind of picked it up. Another last Nobel I'll say to myself is I'm reading someone's response to me. I wish I could tell you more, but it's premature, you know. <laughs> Another last Nobel. But yeah. But in these circles where, you know, this blog's popular and that blog's popular and this, this video cast among the UFO demographic, we tend to kind of forget like how 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 
outside the norm. Is that what I'm looking for? This can look when when actual journalists come in and start asking questions and saying what's going on here. And by that, like a, an example, um, there, there was a blog recently at someone's website where they said a blog post where they were directing attention to a website that seemed to be associated with some disclosure people. And they, they were examining the website and this was kind of boosting its, you know, its uh, visibility. And I asked the person, how did you find out about this place? Like, how did how this website come to your attention? They got an email, they brought it to their attention, they checked it out and did a blog post. Huh. And so then uh, another time I'm listening to a different person on a podcast and they're talking about another shocking UFO revelation from some sailor on a Navy ship somewhere and what he saw. And the host asked them, how do you find out about this? They got an email. <laughs> Did these people want to alert CNN, Politico, <laughs> Keith Clore, Sarah Stoles? No, they did not. They wanted to alert pro-UFO bloggers. That, that's who they wanted to alert, apparently. Right. I, oh, thank you. I have so many thoughts about this. But this is the kind of stuff I think about all the time, too, where, again, if you're worried about your... Um, uh, like, oh, you're worried about sharing this information. It's like most journalists have signal or they have some other form of, of anonymized, you know, uh, ways of communicating with them. So you can be protected. Um, also, again, if this information is so uh, earth shattering, um, why are you sharing it with bloggers? Only, uh, again, like you said, if it's only pro UFO, if they're not engaged in critical analysis and critical research yeah you just hand people something and they just accepted it face value and then they amplify this to other people in the community and then that gets that becomes its own form of validation for a lot of people like oh well this person posted it it's like yeah but they got a random email did they even check the ip address of the email and, and know where it's from or or do any or research on that to us like, like an email that that could cover a lot of ground right? <laughs> that's true also yes you know <laughs> i right like like one time uh there was a back and forth on twitter and um th this reporter was saying the story went the way it did because his editor you know the editor did it. And Adam Go rightly jumped in. Is Lou Elizondo your editor? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, was there a name this email? You know, perhaps. That's something is something. Because again, it, it reminds it, it reminds me of um the like emails 
that my when when my mom first got internet at work and people were just sending everybody anything you know and it was like okay well you got to be careful because they're there are these gangs and they're painting LSD on payphones. So don't touch payphones. Like, where did you get this email? Are there any police reports that you can find about this? Like, why are you telling me or daughter not to use payphones because of this? Again, where's the provenance of this email? Like, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's, again, it's, it's like basic to me, what seems like basic due diligence, basic questions. You know, it, it, again, if you, if you can't, if treating simple questions that about verifiability and about provenance and all of those things are seen as being hostile, which a lot of this gets billed as, you need to do some evaluation about what you believe and why you believe it. Because it, again, being rude to somebody is a lot different than just asking basic due diligence questions. Again, especially when you're dealing with phenomena that is so potentially life-changing as uh, you know, uh, beings from other planets, government conspiracies about these beings from other planets. Let's ask some questions about those things. Again, if you're uncomfortable with questions, um, the, uh, interrogate that. Again, that says that's, yeah. that's bigger than the UFO phenomenon, yeah. Yeah, it, it really is. And um, a whole thesis could, could competently be done on uh, the, the extent the topic is a coping mechanism and dealing with other issues in our lives. And like coping mechanisms do, it can become more of a problem over time than the original problem that it was used to cope with, you know. Yeah, it, it's so interesting you said that because when I interviewed Amelia Cotter, she was talking about haunted locations and how people become obsessed with those locations. And the obsession is almost a personal haunting because they keep going back. They keep trying to investigate. Like some people can get even more paranoid about what they think they've heard or what they think they've seen. Again, it is it. It's a there's a deeper a deeper issue at play, a deeper psychological um, thing that's happening, um, especially when you are obsessing over these things. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, are there things seen in the sky? Sure, there are. How nice are they? I don't know. Uh, I, I wouldn't doubt at all that there may be the occasional report that that um, probably does or may may represent something uh, that um, the the current science paradigm doesn't understand well and and could learn more about. I mean, I think Hesdalen and the, the the Brown Mountain Lights in North Carolina are examples of this. Um, it, is there something that might be more of a, of a um, non-human intelligence represented in this? I don't know. That's a big leap from people see things that they report that they don't know. 
can they study? Sure, sure. You know, knock yourself out, you know, do, do intelligent, competent grant funding, see what you can come up with, let the rest of us know. You know, it's not like I'm opposed to this by any stretch of the imagination. Now, all of that is kind of, <laughs> thank you. I, I'll be here all week. <laughs> I, and I'm, I'm uh, what, where I'm headed with that is, that's kind of my disclaimer to, but the fact remains, in many of these reports, it, it is my opinion that we become very passionate about uh, our report. We become very passionate about our memories. We want validation. We want to be believed. We want support with these memories because something is wrong. The, 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 the story does represent, um, and certainly a percentage of cases, horrific, terribly traumatizing things that happen. It just takes a lot of courage to explore the possibility that it may not have been at aliens that, that these things happen. And, and one of my pet peeves, as I think you know by now from, from reading my stuff, is that a, a, a faction of the UFO community will purport to have turned over every rock, to have followed every lead, to have looked everywhere they possibly could except symptoms of trauma, how we behave when we're traumatized, how we misinterpret things, how we, what those symptoms are, how they might play into this. And I would go as far as to say the higher profile personalities um, exploit that. And, and they, they, uh, they take advantage of helping the, the community shield themselves from some of these realities. Yes. Absolutely. And also I'm thinking of, you know, uh, uh, regression hypnosis that it, especially when those are, um, are, are uh, recorded and then put online and, and you can see exactly how the hypnotists are implanting memories, you're watching it in real time that they are skewing the narrative, skewing the memories and and shaping in a subconscious way the actual experiences or the perceived experiences you know and and making sure that they don't actually see what potentially could have happened there it's like no 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 it was all aliens it's all lights from the sky you were abducted you talked to some mantis whatever it is and and that to me too is so it's so offensive I mean, clearly I talk a lot about trauma too. It's something I care very deeply about. I think the, the bulk of uh, today's problems in society are because we don't have open conversations about trauma and the effects of trauma and how that, that impacts our lives. And again, when you're dealing with people who have had traumatic experiences, because as you've written, like even just seeing like lights in the sky is traumatic, right? Like even the perception of these things 
you know, people talk about trauma reactions to them. And to just like, tr you know, parade these people around like their um, uh, uh, like carnival um, acts is, is so offensive to me. Like you're not looking at the human. You, you are so desperate for some narrative about aliens that you're willing to just erase and ignore the humanity of the person who is telling these stories and who has had some sort of experience. It, it, it's so, I, I, again, I just, I get so mad about it. Just talk to people, right? Like really talk to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's difficult to understand people that, that don't share that evaluation mm -hmm. of listening to these um, regressive hypnosis sessions. It, it is. Uh, it, it's like we were saying about it, it requires a certain amount of lack of understanding, of ignorance about what's taking place to combine with such a desire to, to confirm it, such a desire to believe that it, it's difficult to deal with people who will defend those actions. And in my work on these things, uh, it became apparent to me that they were not um, like David Jacobs, Barbara Lamb. It became apparent to me these were not isolated incidents that I was but the norm, the, the mode of operation that they were using with people. And I can tell you and your listeners, when you delve into this long enough, it begins to, to eat at you. Wow, what do they say when they're not being recorded? Oh, right, right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Mind storching, you know? It, it, it's, uh, that, that is such a good point, especially, especially with like, you know, again, uh, Barbara Lamb, I think about like the Anjali, you know, uh, regression and, and like, you know, you know, this is going to be put uh, online, right? I, again, I, I was raised by paranoid <laughs> Polish people. And my mother always was like, never, don't put anything in writing that you're not willing to, for someone else to see. Yeah, I, not that I follow that. I shitpost too much on Twitter, but that's always in the back of my head, right? So to know, like, not only are you recording something, but in some cases, you know, it's going to be publicly broadcast somewhere and you're okay with that morally, ethically, you think that you are clean of any kind of judgment that you're doing the right thing. Like that's super villain level. Uh, delusion there. It, 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 and it's so, I mean, God, it, it, David Jacobs is a whole other, uh, <laughs> a, whole, a whole other hour, <laughs> at least. It, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and then, it, and like you said, that, that people aren't questioning it, that they're not criticizing it, that they're not, again, just a basic critique from a research methodology perspective, right? You don't even have to put emotion in it. You just have to say like, hey, by all standards that we have of information gathering, this is unethical. 
and this is not valid data. You can be neutral about it. Um, it, once you get into the human element, then I mean, then I think it's time for yelling because how, how can you, how can, how can anybody be okay with that? It blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it really does. Um, and there have been times I took the approach you're discussing that, um, let's just look at it as claiming you're doing scientific investigation which david jacobs claims mufon claims that, that that's what they promote um as i started with by definition this is not scientific study just by like like <laughs> yeah you, i i mean we you like that's the end of the discussion like there we 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 found what's wrong with it okay let's suspend judgment on that let's say you are such a um future futuristic um ahead of your time talented hypnotist that the rest of us just don't see your brilliance and let's go into the information you're gathering <laughs> the information you're gathering and the ways that you are corroborating it with things that like aren't between people's ears and not at the least bit interested and go out of their ways to I, I I found instances where they just go out of their ways to avoid working with qualified professionals that wanted to physically examine women who said they had had their fetuses taken by the aliens that are doing the whole hybrid et junkie stunt and all of this stuff and uh no no don't want any of that happening now now what could anyone possibly think that might indicate other than an obstruction of, of an What exactly. other way is there to interpret that? Exactly. And, and that's what that's what baffles me. That's why I'm, I'm so appreciative of your work, because, again, it wouldn't you want wouldn't you want uh, again from a scientific perspective, right? Is it replicable uh, replicable? Can are multiple doctors seeing the same thing? Wouldn't you want to not just talk to one additional doctor, but but a couple others, and and if they all found the same findings, like wow, it looks like you had a pregnancy that was surgically removed, or that we have uh, hormonal evidence that you were pregnant, and and now you're clearly not. We don't have like like the even the absence of information can often indicate something is going on. Wouldn't you want that and those evaluations? If you don't, it's because you know, uh, again, I think about social sciences, like anytime somebody gets questioned about their data collection, the immediate like call from the community and academia is like, okay, we'll just share your data. And every time they withhold the data, it always comes out that they were lying about their analysis and they were lying about their data collection. Again, th this is a, a specific type of behavior to obfuscate, to promote a narrative, to hide from any kind of critical analysis because you know it's not going to pass the sniff test. 
And then you have people who will say, oh, well, of course, she, like these, these women can't go to normal doctors because they're gonna cover up the evidence. Like, okay, okay. Again, if you've got like a logical circle that you can't escape and that nothing can penetrate, again, it's a religion and it's not science. So stop making yeah. fun of science. Yeah, you're arguing religion and in, in this specific instance, and it, it's explained in my first book, The Grays Have Been Framed, I go into it. Uh, Bud Hopkins and David Jacobs were approached, I think David Jacobs was involved in it too, um, by a, uh, a person that was relatively high profile in the UFO community and knew a, uh, a doctor that specialized with pregnancies and was interested, was like, wow, this is fascinating. If I just take these, these statements at face value, this is really fascinating. And you know what? I'm a doctor. I got labs. I know like what to do with this. No interest in collaborating with the guy. Right. Again, it's, it's so many red flags that people willfully ignore. It, 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 for what? Like, do you really need to believe this so badly? Like, you can even believe that it happens, right? But evaluate the people who are saying it happens because they, like, if they're wrong, that's information, right? If they're lying, that's information. You can still believe it happens. Again, my grandfather saw a UFO at some point. Like he could have hallucinated, he believed it, right? He could have been wrong. Other people have seen things too. Again, the, the like evaluated as folklore then, like you don't have to abandon all of it, but you should have some sort of scientific parameters if you're interested in something and people again are making extraordinary claims and then refusing to hand over evidence, resisting um, sympathetic people who could help collect evidence, who could help bolster those claims, who could then move that from the fringe into more mainstream society and conversations. Like, don't you want, don't you want that? If this is as important as you claim, don't you want everyone to know? Right, right, <laughs> right. Um, you mentioned earlier, too, um, getting comfortable with ambiguity. Um, that, that's so important to, to the witnesses. Uh, there, there's things um, that, that happened in my life that I, I feel like I just have to get okay with I don't know. And... Uh, in, in certain ways, the UFO community, the ghost hunters like we were talking about that get obsessed with the properties or the woods or, and, and then the media portrayal of it, Blair Witch and stuff that there looks like there's something noble about become Mulder and Scully that you just go all in and ruin your lives on, you know, chasing a story across the country. Um, like, like, as if the more you stand to lose, the, the, the more integrity it gives you is a very unhealthy representation 
And I had to just get okay with, there's just going to be some things I don't know what happened. And uh, along with looking at symptoms of trauma, these UFO people that are looking under every rock need to understand how memory works and, and, and the fallibility of memory. And the fact of the matter, like these stories in my life, at this stage in my life, one-year-old boy saw one night in 1974. I can tell you the last things I described, like I, I can tell you about the last way I think I told somebody about it. I, I can describe the mental image I have in my mind that has developed over 48 years, but uh, clinical experiments, scientific work that has the objectives and the measured and the peer review tells us that we're, we're often walking around not knowing what in the hell we're talking about when we're telling somebody what happened last week, last month, 48 years ago. Um, and, and it's important to get okay with that. And, and there's not anything noble about, uh, making other aspects of my life suffer tremendously and underachieve in other aspects of my life to obsessively work on what might've been happening in the area I lived in, in 1974. You know, it, it, there's just not, you know. Right. It, yes. I, again, you bring up this good point, the idea of sacrificing all of this time and all of this energy, obsessing over, as you mentioned, witness, you know, witness, witness testimony is, is used, but it is so unreliable. Like, it's kind of terrifying to me to think of, you know, <laughs> court cases being made and lost over witness testimony when, again, neurologically, we know that the brain is an unreliable narrator. And, and again, when I was a kid, I, I saw something in my backyard. I thought it was a ghost. I don't know what it could have been. I was eight, right? And, and that absolutely sparked my interest in the paranormal and doing all of this research. I still don't know what it is that I saw when I was talking, when I was hanging out with the liminal earth people for their live stream. And they, you know, again, for me, I was like, oh, this is a ghost. I think it was Garrett who was like, could that have been like an alien and ultra terrestrial? I was like, yeah, could have been. I don't, I don't actually know. And it's, Again, I'm always more interested in the questions and the exploration of that, the kind of philosophical interrogation than saying, this is this, uh, and I'm going to find proof of this. Again, if we're dealing with things that exist outside of our realm of comprehension, it, it is a fool's errand to try to find every single definition that you can of it. You just, you can't. So play around with the ideas. Again, I, like I, I care a lot about the, the folklore, the personal histories, those narratives. Okay, you saw something. What did you see? What did you feel about what you saw? What, or what did you think you see? You saw really? Like what, what was your perception around it? Because like you said, people spend, and, and I'll just go forward and say they waste years, decades of their lives chasing something and they don't even know what it is. 
that's so sad to me. Like you said, that all that human potential that that get, that chasing these like down these rabbit holes there's so much else you can do like let that inform your open-mindedness about the world and and go exploring read a whole bunch of books and 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 talk to other people not just narrow-minded i have to figure this out yeah yeah i'd like to to comment on um you saying how it, it's uh mildly terrifying that that uh and see, I already can't remember the exact term you use. That's just how memory works. And see, I'm paraphrasing. And then I'll tell somebody else and they'll say, oh, my God, did you hear what Vanessa said? Right. <laughs> when they change it again, you know. But yeah, it's assuming that, that based on what we say we saw happen at a strip mall, somebody might go to prison. And I'd like to add to that. Um, that those detectives are professionally trained at how to solicit the responses they want from people. That exactly. they, they're professional interrogators. And yes. I, I mean, that is the kind of stuff, again, that in clinical trials by competent professionals, Dr. Loftus, Dr. Julia Shaw, have shown that bad memory retrieval techniques combined with a friendly interviewer can pretty much get anything they want out of out of a volunteer admissions to crimes extraordinary memories whatever and it 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 is disturbing it uh it, it's it's important to know that over time the the people in the ufo arena that that use these memory retrieval techniques also know how, how to to get the responses they want like we were laughing about you know selling cadillacs at the ufo conference uh metaphorically they're completely overt about it in these hypnosis recordings they are telling the subject, what other people have told them, and, and how about you? Does that seem to fit for you? Okay, we'll just go with that. Like, why even bother to hypnotize them, you know? Just, just ask them yes or no questions, check a box. Okay, I think I've got a pretty good story to go with, with this case, you know? I mean, that's the thing too, again, from having a social science background, social desirability is a huge issue in, in just asking studies when people aren't being hypnotized and, and surveys and interviews have to be crafted in such a way that you're not just getting the responses that people think you want. Even in difficult situations, again, we're wired to want to work in community and to help each other out. And if your subject knows that you're looking for a specific type of information, they're going to bend their own ideas and their memories to fit what you're looking for. Again, you don't even need to be hypnotized for that. That's just a conscious thing that happens walking through the world day to day. So it, it, it's, it is weird to me that like, okay, well, they were under hypnosis. So that, this information is definitely more real than what they say in their waking lives. We've cracked it, right? It, it came out. And then again, when you're able to, to listen back to these or even watch these um, 
sessions happening like there's this is all being led this is all being directed there's 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 nothing again from a social science perspective at my every cell in my body cringes at this because it is it is so non-scientific and and uh, frankly unethical and damaging to watch this happen to people yeah it, it, it is and to expand on your thoughts a little as early as the 1950s and 1960s um cia funded psychologists and hypnosis experts were telling the agency people want to help you like they want to be helpful to the guy in the white coat they, they want to be a good subject they, they want it to work and that factors into the experiments and uh one of them, uh, Martin Orne, or Orne, I don't, I don't really know how to pronounce that last name, O-R-N-E, uh, he explained to the agency that it was his contention that the, the value of hypnosis as an interrogation tool was to lead the subject to believe he had an interrogation tool that they were defenseless against. And he, he put together elaborate ruses um, to lead the subject to believe they were being influenced by this powerful virtual magician and his hypnosis tools that included changing the temperature of the seat they were sitting in, um, putting cigarettes around them that they would have access to that, that were rigged to taste really bitter after being told that the cigarettes will taste bitter and things like that. Um, even planting people in their vicinity um, to tell them that, oh, he hypnotized me and I just couldn't, couldn't contain myself and to tell them, you know, to reinforce in them and uh, yeah, it, it was his contention that um, leading them to believe it, they are defenseless to the techniques is what will make the techniques valuable. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's CIA, you know? <laughs> right, those scamps. Yeah. <laughs> Again, this is what what also blows my mind, and I, I know I already said this to you during the Panparacon session, but like how when you know when you know that the CIA is involved in messing with people's minds, like they have made a science of it, right? Like figuring out how to get into people's heads. Again, it is an intelligence community. But and so like you 100% believe anybody who leaves that organization and what they have to say about all the hidden things that are going on in the government, that does not compute to me at all. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it starts and ends with standards of evidence. And that has to be applied uniformly to former spooks that are never former spooks they're just spooks right. and 
what you know witnesses researchers most people don't think they're lying they're not intending to be deceptive many are but but plenty aren't and that's why you just have to apply proper standards and not just on a matter of trust. Do they seem sincere? They are sincere often to the best of their ability and, and completely wrong about what, what they're championing. Right. <laughs> if people want to support you and your work, where can they find you? Thank you. Um, I have a Google blog. It is the UFO trail. It is ufotrail.blogspot.com. I'm on Twitter at the UFO trail. Uh, pretty much everything, my books and everything can be accessed through my blog or just hit me up. And uh, I, I wrote the books for them to be read. So if uh, it's not a good time for you to buy a book or you'd like a review copy or just for some reason, uh, it's not a good time for you to purchase one, but you'd like to read it, get with me and I'll be sure and get a PDF to anyone that would, that would like it. And uh, I really appreciate you having me, Vanessa. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, it's intellectually stimulating as well. <laughs> exactly. Fun and intellectually stimulating to chat with yeah. you. <laughs> thank you thank you so much for listening and or watching depending on where you found this podcast you can find jack at the ufotrail.blogspot.com um, you can find his books on amazon you can also feel free to reach out to him on twitter i will put links in the description if you want to keep track of personal pans i'm at personal pans on instagram and on twitter and if you want to find me, I'm at Kali Butterfly. That's K-A-L-I Butterfly. Again, this was a wonderful conversation and and hopefully, um, hopefully, you know, again, encourages uh, a certain amount of, uh, of, of research-mindedness when dealing with UFOs. Again, I think it's all really cool, but if you want to call it science, do science. If it, you want it to be folklore, it can be folklore. That's fine. But let's be careful with uh, the labels we use around it because it is an interesting exploration and we should treat it with a certain amount of respect. So I hope that you have a playful and curious day and um, do some research on, on aliens.